Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discussed through the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra, and I'm definitely an Alanis. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, and I think my girl anthem from this era that we're talking about today is probably, um, I love so many 90s songs. Got to narrow it down. It's very hard for me to choose. But I think I would have to go with uh, Bikini Kills Rebel Girl. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. You don't know what that is? I don't. You're about to get an education. I'm excited. Very 90s. I would play the whole song, but I don't really think that you want me to do that. I really don't. (laughs) All right, and I'm Misty. Out of all the ladies we're going to talk about today, I most admire Joan Jett. Nice one. Nice choice. And I think the song that I'm going to go with is Stupid Girl by Garbage. I think that accurately describes you. Thanks. I'm just kidding. And of course, we know that it's a commentary, right? Yes. To be fair, this is also very 90s. <laughs> it is very 90s. I had a hard time picking. Just a moodier, yeah, less punky version of the 90s. So if you can't tell, we're going to finish our conversation uh, about music. So in part decades. one, yeah. we did the 60s and the 70s. And here we're going to do the 80s and the 90s. Which we actually have a little bit more personal experience we, with. Having been actually, alive. Actually, though... Allegra seemed to really love disco, so I don't know how she's going to transition <laughs> into the 80s and 90s. But again, you know, not an exhaustive list. Uh, we're definitely not pretending like we're covering everything. And um, I hope that you guys hear some songs that you already love and get to listen to and some things that you might find to be new favorites. Uh, not an exhaustive list, of course. And whatever we leave out, feel free to tell us and we'll put it in a later episode. We're just going to do the some of the big hits here and try to connect all of those songs to history and the women's, women's movement. Women's movement. So Misty's going to start us with the 80s. It's the oldest, so therefore the most historical. <laughs> Yay, history. So Allegra. Yep. What year was the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, it had to be the 80s because right. we just said we we're going to talk about the 80s. Um, I don't know. When did it start? It started in 1983, but people didn't start getting inducted until 1986. Okay, so I'm assuming the very first inductees were women. No. Okay, well. That's a fail. A girl can dream. Yes. The first year they didn't induct any women, but the second year we finally got one. Hey, you know, that's actually better than I thought it was going to be. You know, me too. Honestly, I thought it was going to be several years later. So who's the first woman inducted? Do you know? Um, No. It is Aretha Franklin. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So if they had to pick at least one woman, yeah. which I mean, maybe they could have picked two, but if they had to pick at least it one. It was just the one? It's just the one. Yikes. Yeah. 
So of the women inducted, sorry, of everyone inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, only 10 solo female performers have ever been inducted. Really? Yeah. And 13 groups containing at least one female. Ooh. So I think if you add up every group that we have talked about in the last episode and this episode. That's more than 24. Yeah. So maybe we have some progress So to maybe do. we should be the people deciding who should go in the Hall of Fame. I really don't think that's true since I can't name half these songs. But maybe you should be doing it. That's true. but Not I th- me, but, but maybe I, you. I think the point remains that if you want a better, more accurate representation of who's being inducted, you have to examine who's doing the deciding there. Yeah, we need new voices in the room for sure. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. So I wanted to start with that trivia question because I think it's important to acknowledge that even though we're about to talk about a bunch of amazing women Mm -hmm. and everything that they did, the recognition of their achievements still lags behind what it does for men. Yeah. And it took a long time for the music industry to catch up. Yeah. And again, the music industry is not owned by or run by a lot of women, not a lot of women making those decisions, either at the level of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or at the level of uh, label or music producer. So we're going to start with the 1980s. And I hope people have listened to the previous episodes that they'll have a jumping off point for this. Yeah, absolutely. And plus all of that talk about disco. Yep. Who would want to miss that? Not me. (laughs) So I think we can save the 1980s generally that the music is more inclusive. We have new voices. Mm -hmm. We have more genres to choose from. We have more genre blending and mixing. Yeah. I mean, we we have... at least one new genre in the 1980s of new wave. Yes. And punk rock is 70s or 80s. Uh, yeah, it kind of blends. Mm-hmm. But, because there's always a but with me, right? But music does become more image focused. Yeah. Yeah. Because of MTV. MTV. So you have a bunch of pop stars mm-hmm. that develop, but they all kind of need to have a certain look. Hmm. And that look is going to get real specific. So you're saying that because they were m- more visible, yes, their images were much more important. Okay. So on the good side of what's mm-hmm. happening in the 1980s, I want to say that songs are going to branch out from just staying at home and waiting by your phone and crying because a boy won't call you. We had a lot of that in we the 60s and 70s so episode. so much of a that. A lot of that. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> so we're going to address some new topics. Okay, good. So workplace and sexual harassment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So nine to five by Dolly Parton. No. Really? Nothing. Okay. Also from the movie nine to five. Nothing. By Dolly Parton. Got nothing. So I really feel like if you took the movies, you know, and the movies I know and made a Venn diagram, Mm -hmm. it would just be two separate circles. There is no overlap. There's going to be some stuff in the middle. I hope so. We haven't found it yet. We will. You know, so, so I'm losing hope. So there are songs about women in the workplace yeah she works hard for the money by donna summer it's another one so disco-y still yeah the the album cover for she works hard for the money is her like dressed up like a waitress with a oh you're right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so she's she's working yeah it's not about a man right taking care of herself uh, as far as love and relationships go, mm-hmm. the tone is going to change slightly. So 
love and relationships is still a huge part of what songs are of about. Yeah, it's I mean, still a part of it today, right? Because yeah. it's a universal mm-hmm. theme. Everyone can relate to it. But a song like What's Love Got to Do With It yeah. by Tina Turner. Yeah. I don't know if that would have been possible before the 80s. Why not? Because I think women moving into the professional world, mm-hmm. the women's rights movement, pushing women out of the kitchen and out of the home mm-hmm. makes it more understandable why a woman would be singing why do i need love yeah i've got other things going on for me Mm -hmm. i just don't know if that would have been possible in the 60s yeah that's true and then also we have some very sex positive female positive music okay that's good with cindy lopper and shebop what's that song about misty so here's the thing even though we're at a podcast and even though we're having a great time doing it we are still at work we are so it's a little uncomfortable what you're saying is we're going to allow people to make some inferences yes their own inferences i hope our listeners can read between the lines oh Allegra's looking like she's never actually listened to the lyrics of this song before. Never. And I think that covers it. (laughs) So it's good, right? Yeah, no, that, that definitely covers it. Um... I think it's positive. Absolutely. I think it's empowering. Yeah. I think it's an important development in music. Yeah. I think it's also something I don't really want to get too deep into in work. Yeah, but um, it's it. I think it's important. Uh, it's a, an important achievement, kind of, and a good statement, right? To be uh, have agency over your body and yourself. Yeah. Well, and to get that even on the radio. Because, again, I think about the 1960s, and there is no way that we're playing that on the radio. No, no, Mm -hmm. no. So we've come a long way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I also want to point out that women are going to be given a platform as performers, Mm -hmm. not just singers, but performers they haven't been before. And so the best example of this, I think, from the 1980s is Sheila E. Oh, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, so even if you don't know her, you know her. Okay. She is the female percussionist. Who played for Prince. Oh, She was the yeah. drummer for Prince. Yeah, 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 yeah. She eventually is going to be sort of a pop star on her own. She has a hit single called The Glamorous Life. Okay. Which you may or may not know. Nope. But she also is going to write a book called The Beat of My Own Drum. So if you it's a clever have, name. It's very clever. We like puns, right? We do. I so, do anyway. I do too. So I think if you have time, pick that up because it's really interesting. She talks about her life in this world of music and what it was like to be a woman and how that wasn't always respected. Yeah. Cause I know I think about drummers and I don't necessarily picture a woman. No. And that's not, not a lot of female drummers that I can call into memory. Of course there are many in the world. Right. Yeah. But it's just not your first mm-hmm. go-to image. Right. Right. And she did it while still being very feminine mm-hmm. and while still being pretty glamorous. Well, obviously if her song's called the glamorous. Well, yes, life, I yeah. guess that makes sense. Right. Yeah. All right, so when you're thinking about major performers in the 1980s, female major Mm -hmm. performers in the 1980s, what is the first name that comes to mind? Obviously Madonna. For sure. So growing up, did you like Madonna? So my sister loved Madonna. So your sister's a little older than you? Two years older than me. Okay. 
Um, so I just had to hate it. <laughs> Out of principle? Yeah. I mean, it was just stupid. She liked it. I didn't like it. So, okay. Having um, grown up a little bit, can you admire? Oh, yeah. I love Madonna. I mean, now. Yeah. So Madonna begins on the music scene in 1979, but she really hits it big in 1984. Mm-hmm. And her very, very, very first big song, do you know which one it is? I have a guess. It's Like a Virgin. So do you think this is a step forward? I do. Tell me why. So this is still a love song, right? Yeah. She is talking, the narrator is talking about finding love Mm -hmm. and being fulfilled Mm -hmm. in this relationship. It's not the lyrics that make this, to me, a feminist song, though. Okay. What makes it a feminist song is her performance of it. You're talking about the wedding dress performance? I am talking about the wedding dress performance. So, uh... (laughs) So, Madonna is going to perform. Yeah, you could have made the argument that this song was metaphorical until she did what she did, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, because it is a metaphor, right? Yeah. But she explored its uh, limitations when she... (laughs) That's a nice way to say that. When she uh, performed it on stage uh, in a wedding dress. And she sang and she danced and she writhed around on the floor. And there was nothing very subtle about it, was there? In a wedding dress. In a wedding dress. And so that performance, the 1984 MTV Music Awards, that's what we're talking about, that moment Mm -hmm. really catapulted her I think to the next level and it was a risk right it was daring and it was but but to be fair it was the kind of risk that men have been making since Elvis yeah I mean Elvis was banned from being shown waist down on television because his thrusting was quote-unquote overtly sexual and indecent yeah so admitting that you are a sexual being as a musical performer and in the way that you conduct yourself singing a song in public that's a risk that men had been taking for 30 or more years um and so to say madonna took a big risk that's true it was bold it was something that hadn't been done before but i don't think that it should have been the shock to the sensibilities that it was but I think having never seen a woman claim her sexuality mm-hmm. like that was well one shocking uh, but two empowering for Absolutely. a lot of young women yeah and if you if you see interviews of teenage girls from the 80s who by the way are all dressed like Madonna exactly because she's a very like um specific aesthetic yeah and I can't even describe what it looks like. People would always be, you know, it's Madonna craze. And they would say, why do you love Madonna? And they would all say, because she does her own thing. She does what she wants to do. She's not. And it was appealing to girls then as it is now that uh, someone is saying, I don't have to be who you expect me to be. So speaking of high praise for Madonna, um, Betty Ferdan says kind of what you just said. Yeah. But probably in a little bit more fancy way. Well, she's, she's Betty Ferdan. Betty Ferdan. So she said Madonna is feminine. She is herself. She is sexual, but she's strong. She's an individual woman. Wow. Coming from Betty Friedan, that is high praise. Absolutely. And um, 
And I think it's accurate. And I think that's exactly what, aside from musical skill, which she has immense amounts of, and the hard work that she did, I think that's what was so attractive about her to so many girls. I think the other thing that was really attractive about her was that her subject choice in songs that she chose to Mm -hmm. perform didn't always conform to one thing. It's not the sitting around waiting for the boy to call, right? Yeah. If you look at her first two years, Mm -hmm. she has Like a Virgin, Mm -hmm. 1984, Material Girl, 1984, Mm -hmm. and then Papa Don't Preach, 1986. And those are Which really, if you're trying to be an independent, not necessarily rebellious, but uh, free-spirited person, that's a great kind of anthem. Well, and it's interesting too, right? Because the people who condemn her for rolling around in a wedding dress Mm -hmm. and like a virgin are praising her in Papa Don't Preach because she says she's keeping the baby. (laughs) And so she's kind of on both sides of the line, like making everybody happy and upset all the time. Yeah. So while she's this really controversial figure, I think she's a very interesting figure Mm -hmm. in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And I think that she continues to be. She had a career or has a career as an actress as well as a singer. Uh, and I, I mean, I think she's still making music. I know she did recently did a collaboration with um, Justin Timberlake. So, I mean, she's still. Yeah, she's been important. in the industry yeah. and stayed in the industry mm-hmm. for quite a long time. And even if she is not actively making music as much as she used to. Yeah. She has influenced so many people that have come behind her. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if you get to Britney Spears without Madonna. Yeah. And I don't know that that's we don't want to blame Madonna for <laughs> Britney Spears. But yeah. Yeah. All right, so another woman I want to talk about, switching gears kind of a lot. Kind of a lot. Is Joan Jett. So we're not talking about a female singer here. We're talking about a female rock star. Yes. I would say yes. Playing the guitar. Well, in that song, she's primarily on lead vocals. But yes, she could play. Yeah. And so... Joan Jett is going to come out as um, a different type of performer than Madonna. I I would consider her more of a musician, maybe, than Madonna is. Mm -hmm. Madonna is more of a performer. Yeah. But Joan Jett is going to take this new attitude into her songs. If you listen to this song, she's not, again, waiting for the boy to notice her, right? Right. She also is going to have a hard time early on in her career because she doesn't fit that mold right. that pop stars did. Yeah. And so Joan Judd's going to do something that I really admire her for doing. And when nobody would sign her, she started her own record label. Nice. Yeah. Blackheart Records. Wow. So Joan Judd kind of says, if you're not going to do what I want to do the way mm-hmm. I want to do it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'll do it my own way without you. Yeah. And I admire that. Absolutely. And I mean, she didn't have a slot that she fit in right she wasn't she wasn't quite punk right and she wasn't uh following in kind of the disco diva footsteps of solo performer that maybe madonna kind of could fit a little bit more into so she it's not as polished for sure as madonna so she made a slot for herself for herself and then it was a slot that a lot of other people ended up fitting into and filling in Yeah, and I think for men, again, there have been different ways to be performers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think women are still having to carve those out in the 1980s. Yeah, and and I mean, if you look at who was a popular musician 
in terms of of all of the male performers they across the board we had all dude rock bands we had stadium rock bands we had hair bands uh heavy metal bands but we also had solo performers like david bowie um and so there were they were all across the board right um dudes who could play the guitar dudes who could sing dudes who could drum and so what we have now is people women in the 80s kind of adopting those roles yeah, as absolutely. well saying i can absolutely. do more than just be the singer yeah i can do more than just be the performer and yeah and even even we had cv nicks in the 70s she number one was almost an anomaly yeah and she was not i mean joan jett's band was called joan jett and the black hearts right so right she was the namesake of the band yeah and the other thing i think if we can just like acknowledge this is that joan jett looks cool she looks so cool right like the black leather jacket and the, so the cool. hair that All is the an time. aesthetic that I, I heavily admire yeah all right so this uh next band mm-hmm. i want to talk about i'm gonna say this is more academic than personal because this is not the kind of music i generally listen to do you got the beat misty uh yeah kind of <laughs> the go-go's it is the go-go's you didn't like the go-go's when you were younger it just wasn't what i grew up listening to i have no animosity towards the go-go's they have not personally harmed me in any way so i have a very strong affinity okay why for all girl bands Okay, so the Go-Go's, the yeah. Bengals. Yeah, I mean, I, I just like them. Bikini Kill. So the Go-Go's rose to fame in the 1980s, early 1980s. Mm-hmm. And they are the first and to date only all-female band that both wrote their own songs and played their own instruments to reach the top of the Billboard charts. Nice. So they're really doing it all for themselves. Yeah, no, they are. And it's a great... I mean, there are a lot of, I mean, well, there are several, at least, girl bands from the 80s. Well, I I like the way that you said that, because this isn't a girl group. Right. They are not wearing matching outfits and doing synchronized hip motions. Right. I mean, they are a legit band. Yeah. I mean, listen to them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're thrashing all their instruments. Yeah. So another band that kind of falls in this line is the Bengals. Yeah. And they are asked one time about being an all-female band. Mm -hmm. And they said, we don't understand why our gender defines us. And I think that's an interesting answer, right? It is because they were a successful band in the 80s. And there were, of course, lots of successful bands in the 80s. And I think every time the bangles were interviewed they were probably given that same question right like what does it feel like to be this famous girl band and it's like why can't you just ask us the same kinds of questions that you're asking uh male musicians it is remarkable that we're female musicians but like that's not the most remarkable or the only remarkable thing yeah so it has it's it's important but i don't but i i mean i think i would agree that it shouldn't define them especially when we're talking about their role as musicians they can play musical instruments. They can write music, you know? Not just be girls. Yeah. <laughs> That's an amazing concept. Women are people. Women Allegra. are people. It's a weird idea. I know. We're still getting our heads wrapped around we it. We are. 
So we opened talking about Aretha Franklin mm-hmm. for the 1980s. And yeah. I want to transition into the 90s also talking about Aretha Franklin. Okay. Because Aretha Franklin, it was really hard to decide where to put her. Yeah, obviously. I mean, she's been a singer since like the 50s. Right. Yeah. And so it was really, really difficult when we were doing this saying, okay, where does Aretha fit? Mm-hmm. Because she could be in a lot of different areas. However, she put out a song in 1985 and this kind of sealed the deal. So you would say, here's our lady anthem from the 80s? I'm going to say, for me, myself, personally, this is the lady anthem from the 80s. It's also very 80s. It is. Because she did it with the, your rhythmics. I can almost see the shoulder pads. And the keyboards? Oh, yeah. nice yeah i mean she says times are changing right we're coming specifically says we're coming out of the kitchen yes and i love that line because she is saying right there all of these things that we've kind of been encapsulating in the women's rights movement right Mm -hmm. women are moving into the professional space Mm -hmm. women are moving into the public space Mm -hmm. women are claiming these rights Mm -hmm. that they should have had before now Mm -hmm. And they're not waiting on a man to give them those rights. No. They're just going to do it for themselves. Do it for themselves. It's a great tune. It is. Now, we could have picked a thousand other Aretha songs to talk about. Of course. And the other probably big one that everyone knows. Respect? Is respect. Okay. I was like, is it a trick question? No, it it is respect. Um, But I just wanted to play that sisters are doing it for themselves because I think it fits in with this theme of what we're talking about so 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 well yeah and and because she was a prominent performer in all of these previous decades you can kind of track the progress of women's movements through not just her music but music in general and so for for her to have this song at this time period in this point in history is pretty remarkable right so it's reflecting a change in music but also in herself or her own music as well well and i think it's a little bit autobiographical too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it has to be. Because she did stand on her own quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, her life was not always the easiest life. Right. And she raised her children mostly as a single mom. Mm-hmm. She didn't have anybody there to help her. She was doing it for herself. Yeah. So tell me, you think the 80s are a period of important progress in women's music? Oh, man. <laughs> she just made this face like, why did you ask me this question? There are important achievements. Yeah. Women getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, in the second year, but still, I'll take mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah. It wasn't the 10th year. <laughs> so, hey, we're moving forward. We are. Um, one woman, by the way. Not women. One woman. Well, yeah. one woman the second year, but mm-hmm. more since then. Yeah. I think that's important. I think women taking on more prominent roles, like in all-female bands yeah producing their own music writing their own music Mm -hmm. having more of a role there and uh, we didn't really talk about this but also women working behind the scenes at mtv 
yeah. helping to decide. I'm going to talk about that. In okay, the 90s. perfect. So women helping make those decisions. So I think there are important moments and pieces of the puzzle here mm-hmm. that have fallen into place. Mm-hmm. However, there's always that. I know there's always the but with me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just that the image thing becomes so important yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. It, uh, you have a woman like Aretha Franklin who is not a typical body type. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if she hadn't already been a star, mm-hmm. if she could have become a star right. in the 1980s. You have Madonna. You have Cindy Lauper, mm-hmm. Whitney Houston, Janet Jackson. Mm-hmm. And while they're diverse, mm-hmm. they all have a very certain look about them. Even Joan Jett yeah. has a certain look. Yeah. And I don't know if I don't know if we made enough space for other types of women to be able to also contribute. Yeah, and I think even the diversity was I mean, I think there was we're gonna make some room, but mm-hmm. we're just gonna make just this much room. Yeah, I agree with that. So all of the problems were solved in the 90s, and uh, women had fair and equitable representation and were not evaluated based on their appearances. That is great to know. Yep. Everything solved. Problem solved. But close. The end. We are all good. Just kidding. <laughs> so some things got better in the 90s. MTV. The music? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to me, yes, because I love 90s music and not like ironically like you just are you doing was that a pun (laughs) no I I didn't mean it to be no no I do I do love 90s music and MTV continued to be important in the 90s they also continued to play music in the 90s and they were kind of the national radio station so they were very much what do you mean by national radio station I mean people were relying on MTV to know what's cool what's popular it was defining what popular music was so women were helping make the programming decisions at mtv a woman amy finnerty is the person who convinced mtv to listen to and take a chance on a band called nirvana oh yeah kind of a big deal hopefully you've heard of them yes i have okay i went through a little grunge phase you did i did (laughs) it was real sad you stopped listening to merle haggard for a week (laughs) That was my parents' choice. So um, I think it's important to note that women were helping to, I mean, obviously they weren't dominating in the field, but they were women helping to make those decisions. And uh, we had a lot of female megastars in the 90s, and we had a lot of songs of women kind of specifically singing to and about women. Okay, give me an example. You're going to love this example. Mm. You don't like the song, Misty? I, I just really don't. But tell me why you do. I don't. I, 
do you think that's the best part of being a woman? I do not. The prerogative to have a little fun? No. No? No. I think it's great that we are singing a song about how great it feels to be a woman. That is great. I think it's a catchy song. Popular mass consumer for sure. Absolutely. But it's very, it's very, I don't know, superficial. My issue with this song is more the music video than the actual song. What's what's wrong with the music video? I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not brushed up on my Shania Twain music videos. So this music video is her dancing around in like a male shirt and very short, short, short little skirt kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, she says it in the song. Yes, Men she shirt, does. Squirt, sh- yes, short yes. skirt. Yeah, she is definitely performing here. Not to get all gender studies one on one, but for the male gaze. Yeah, there's not a lot of women who, if you're hanging out with your girlfriends, put on a man's shirt <laughs> just to go out for fun and dance around together. Like that's not a thing that happens. Yeah, yeah. And so you don't do that with all your friends I on do the not. weekends. No, no, no. Um, so I have a little bit of an issue with it. I feel like it's faux feminism. Now, I know that a lot of people do not feel that way about this song. I know that a lot of even academics really praise Shania Twain. And a lot of people consider her an underrated feminist. And if this empowers other people, then great. I just personally do not connect with it. I think it can be empowering in terms of its effect on the person who's listening to it. Because of its style and its beat and... She's singing it with a great degree of confidence. Uh, So I think it can be empowering. And I think it's great to say that I'm going to be a woman and I'm going to have fun. Not I'm going to be a woman and I'm going to do these typically female tasks. But I don't think that there's a lot of substance in this song about the women's movement or, or really what it feels like to be a woman. I don't feel that this song, personally to me is speaking to me about what it feels like to be a woman. Now, do I like to go out and have fun? And would I even dance this song? Probably. Um, but beyond the chorus, I don't know that the words are really speaking to me. Yeah. But there are a lot of songs in the 90s that give us divergent views of what it actually means to be a woman. And I think that that is a very important part of 90s music if we're talking about female musicians there are a lot of songs that are really focused on women defining for us what it means or what it feels like to be a woman or to have a female experience uh, in our culture at the time and so some of these songs are kind of advice giving and some of these songs are kind of declarative the first one was I feel like a woman I'm going to play you a different example okay that I hope I'll be more excited about (laughs) I have no promises so this song is by Desiree and it's called you gotta be and it might not be a song that you immediately recognize okay but I think it's speaking a little bit more substantively to being a woman So I think 
that that notion, right? You have to be tough, you have to be strong, you have to be cool, is kind of speaking to where people, where women are finding themselves in the 90s, which is you have to be a lot of things. Yes. And you have to... And do them all well. Yeah, absolutely. And so I don't know uh, that any song previous to this one is really addressing that. Yeah. I think that there are... It's pretty nuanced. Yeah. I think that there are other songs that come out in the 90s that touch on some of the same ideas. So I know you like this one, Missy. I do. So this is definitely a commentary on being minimized, uh, being patronized, and not being listened to. Right? Take this pink ribbon off my eyes. The world is forcing me to hold your hand. And being monitored. Yeah, not letting me. Mm-hmm. You know. So I think that there's a strong commentary. Uh, I, this is a female-fronted rock band with male members. That in and of itself, I think, is remarkable. Um, this is a very popular band in the 90s. I think I think they're still a band. I know Gwen Stefani is still a musician. I don't know. Yeah, if, I don't know if they're still actively a band no or not. No doubt is still a band. But it's it's a great commentary and it takes a lot of these things that girls and women are hearing uh, and and presenting them to us in a more empowering way. So I think this songs like this are kind of why people will say that the 90s were like a great decade to be a girl, which I don't really think is that true. I think there was still, uh, there were successful women, but I don't think it was super common, right? I mean, I think it's remarkable that there were successful women, but I don't think there were enough of them to say, we have equitable representation in all of the arts. Right. I mean, I think it's like certain women fight for a place in, in prominence, but really it wasn't that common. And if you look still, top 100 songs of the 90s, or even best 100 songs of the 90s, it's still going to be a field mostly dominated by by bands that are almost all or are entirely all male. Well, and I think when people say like, oh, the 90s was such a great time for girlhood, they are comparing it to what comes before, but not to what should be. Yeah, no, that's true. So, yeah, we made progress since the 60s and 70s yeah. and 80s. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> couldn't right. we have made a little more? And and and. I want to specifically focus for a few minutes on alternative music because okay. that it, that's invented, I guess, in the 90s. I don't know when it was actually invented, but that's when people started. It is popularized. Yeah. And so this is alternative music includes grunge music, includes bands like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, probably Weezer. Uh, you know, Beck, all those bands, those, those are the kind of big name alternative artists. There are a lot of female alternative artists. Yep. Liz Fair. Liz Fair. Most prominent one I can think of is Alanis Morissette. We also have Garbage. You played a Garbage song earlier. Hole, uh, Courtney Love. There's a fe- there are female members in Sonic Youth and Sleater Kinney. So there were definitely female musicians in alternative music. Right. Prominently. But really, to me, the most remarkable was Alanis Morissette. They, they were all authentic, but she, to me, was the most authentic. She spoke to you? Yeah, she did. 
She wrote her own music. She was not initially successful. She started writing music for herself, and that's when she became successful. And to her, initially, that was kind of a paradox. because She said, well, when I was trying to appeal to people, I wasn't. And when I was just trying to appeal to myself, that's when people started to relate to me. But that's when she started to be authentic and express the kinds of emotions that really women were not popularly expressing in music up to that point. I mean, Well, and it connected with people on a, a more visceral level. Absolutely. And people listening to Alanis Morissette songs, you know, there are still breakup songs. There are still love songs. There are still songs about being heartbroken. But they're not just sad. She has the audacity to, in some cases, be angry, right? Mm -hmm. She has the audacity, in some cases, to say, you did the wrong thing and you should have known better. So she... Do you have an example of that? Yeah. I mean, she's mad. Yeah. Right? And she is writing the music, performing the music. She can play musical instruments. And she's expressing authentic emotion. But she's also kind of meeting these new standards for alternative music. Right? It doesn't sound like a rock song. It doesn't sound like a pop song. It's an alternative rock song. I mean, that's what it is. So something else that I really admire about Alanis Morissette was it that she played God in a movie? Because I love that. <laughs> no, although that's pretty good. Okay. It's that she's a pretty outspoken feminist. Yeah. Uh, she wrote an essay in 2016 mm-hmm. about this. And she says in that essay that she's often asked when she does interviews if she's a feminist or not. And she says sometimes it's rhetorical. They just have to ask me because I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're asking me as an indictment mm-hmm. to like trick me or catch yeah. me. But her answer is always yes. And she says, it's not something to be apologetic about. Mm -hmm. It's something to be passionate about. And it is an honor to be a feminist. So I really like that she's taking that stance on it. Yeah. And she's not afraid to to admit it. Because as we've discussed before, that That word. That F word. (laughs) Man, that F word. Yeah. I mean, it's a loaded, problematic Yeah, you're going to turn off half your audience right there just saying feminist. But she's not afraid to say it. Yeah. And if you don't like her for that, then you probably aren't the kind of person that she really wants to have as a fan anyway. Yeah. There are a lot of female artists in the 90s who were being authentic and being honest. I mean, there's lots we don't have time to talk about. Tori Amos, Sarah McLaughlin. I have a friend that I swear every time she broke up with a boyfriend, you would know because she would just be <laughs> blasting Tori Amos. You could hear it from like a block away. Oh, I would be I would be listening to Alanis. But yeah, I mean, Lilith Fair happened in the 90s. Ah, oh, Lilith Fair. <laughs> What, are you reminiscing? Yeah, I mean, I remember that being a really big deal when we were teenagers and maybe early young adults. Yeah, and so Lilith Fair is important for a few reasons. One, it's obviously, it's all female Mm -hmm. artists. There were, you know, music festivals happening in the 90s, and women were somewhat represented in music festivals. Mm -hmm. It's not like they weren't invited or they were banned. But, you know, Jewel, Sarah McLachlan, Indigo Girls, Meredith Brooks, Amy Mann, tons of musicians performing at Lilith Fair the best part was when they all got on stage and sang a song together and that was important for me because this was an example of a lot of females 
kind of working, supporting each supporting other, each other empowering mm-hmm. each other. I mean, not all of them were equally famous. And right. so Sarah McLaughlin is saying, like, I want to give a stage and a voice and a platform to other female performers. We're going to sing together. We're going to support each other. There, there wasn't a sense of competition. Now, who knows what's happening backstage? I don't know. But... But at least the aesthetics of it. Yeah, and the and the significance of watching a bunch of women support, empower, and cooperate in in such a way without competition, without cattiness, without all of these things that, you know, people make assumptions about what would happen if you put a bunch of women together. And they organized a very successful festival that betrayed what people's expectations were going to be. Did you go to Lilith there? I was more of a warp tour kind of person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I had friends that went to Little Fair, and yeah. they always talked very highly of it. As we said in the 90s, we have a lot more genres developing mm-hmm. and, and or gaining prominence. Another genre is hip-hop, and there were not a lot of women performing in hip-hop originally. There weren't a lot of female MCs or rappers. Uh, Salt and Peppa was one of the originals, Missy Elliott, Miss Lauren Hill, Queen Latifah. And, and you and I have talked about this before, but I really do think we should do a whole podcast on just Queen Latifah. You love her. I do. And I think her career is so important. Absolutely. And it just really shows you yeah. how she had to constantly find a place for herself. Yeah. And create Be- a place for herself and for other women. Right. Because yeah. nobody else was just going to give it to her. Yeah. And I mean, she had a TV show. I forgot about that. I mean, right. And that's before there were very many people of color on TV. And so that was an important television show for a lot of reasons. So, yeah, I mean, we could do an episode just on Queen Latifah. Absolutely. So there's another kind of thing happening in 90s music with female performers. And there's starts to be maybe toward the middle or to the toward the end of the 90s. A lot of songs, I don't want to call them all girl power songs, because I think that specific two word phrase in and of itself has weird connotations. So academically, yeah, these are referred to as girl power and girl riot songs, riot girl, riot girls and girl power, two different things. I understand that. But academically, they're not they, the same. They're not the same, but they come from the same roots, <gasps> and they come at the same time. Because I'm telling you, of Bikini those, Kill and the Spice Girls do not ever go in the same category unless it's all girls. But the social and historical influences that brought both of those things come from the same place. You can disagree all you want. I don't but like this. That's, that's fine. Um, this is what academics do. We find something that nobody else cares about, and we just argue about it and you define it to death. Yes. Okay. But there are, to just escaping the terms to girl power or yes. riot girl, okay. there are lots of songs from the 90s where women are basically saying, I'm going to do things on my own terms. I'm going to not accept what things are. I'm going to define my terms. So right. I'm going to have a sense of agency. I'm going to... So girlhood, womanhood, and independence yeah. are all redefined. Right. An actual sense of female power i'm not gonna say girl power (laughs) empowerment for women lady power i don't know that sounds like it's a car powered by ladies (laughs) so the first of these is a song that we've the first one i'm going to mention i don't do things in chronological order bad historian i'm not a historian so that's obvious the (laughs) the first of these is a song that we've already played before 
I don't know what it means to zig a zig ah. I don't think it means anything. But she just said repeatedly, I'm going to tell you what I want. Which I want you to imagine somebody singing in the 60s. Right. I mean, it's a different idea, right? Yeah. And she's saying, which is also a new idea here, that her friends mm-hmm. are important to her. Yeah. In and fact, that, so important. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to be my And I, I mean, I just that the importance of that idea, whether or not you like the Spice Girls, cannot be overemphasized, right? The idea that you might want to date me, but I am going to decide whether we date. And my friends also have to like you because my friends are more important to me right now than anybody who I right. might be dating. Right. And so, I mean, that's not a notion that people in previous generations were accustomed to. Well, and I think we've talked about this before, but the Spice Girls being emblematic of that third wave, because they're saying these very empowering messages, right? Like, what I want comes first and my friends matter, but they're doing it in a miniskirt. And so that confluence of two things really flips some people out. So the... Another song where a woman or a group of women are defining their terms, you're definitely going to recognize this song. You know this one? I do. At first we started out real cool. It's Beyonce. Before she was Beyonce. Yeah. So this is a little more materialistic, but it is still a woman saying, no, you can't do that. I'm not going to accept that. Um, Now, I don't know if I want to embrace the idea that we should be looking for men who are going to pay our bills. (laughs) I I don't know, Allegra. Sometimes that doesn't sound too bad. But, it's. I mean, I think it's still a sense of empowerment. And I think that listening to it in the 90s, it felt that way. Well, and again, comparing it to what came before. Yeah. If you heard all the clips we paid from the 1960s and 70s, it's a whole lot of like, come back to me and I'm so sad. I'll do whatever it takes to get you back. And this is not that. This is not that. This is, you better get in line and do what I need you to do. Yeah. Because you're replaceable, essentially. What about this one? Do you know this one? I do know this one. So I think this is the same kind of thing, right? Uh, It's still about whether or not a man can pay for things. But at the same time, it's a woman saying no. Like... And I want you to imagine a girl in the 50s or 60s and a boy asks her out and her saying no. Right. Unless she's already got a boyfriend. That's just not acceptable. Right. I mean, I'm assuming she's wearing a poodle skirt. Right. <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, you say not. You say yes because you're a polite, nice girl, and the boy asked you out, and you should feel honored that someone right, and you wouldn't want to hurt his masculinity right by rejecting him. So even if even if I personally don't like the idea of seeking out a, a partner based on their level of income, I do definitely appreciate. Not to mention how fun it is to sing the song. <laughs> I do definitely appreciate the notion here that. She's saying, no, I don't want none of your time. Like, just no. Well, and also, I mean, it's kind of buried in there. And this is a real nuanced reading of the lyrics. But because that's what I do for fun. Dig in. Um, She talks about how she's getting catcalled, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. There's somebody hanging out the side of his friend's car Mm -hmm. trying to yell at her. And she's just not going to have it. Like, that's not how you're going to approach her. You're going to approach her with respect or not at all. Yeah. She's defining, again, her own terms. So I want to, the last song in this category I want to talk about is song super important to me personally. Okay. So before you make fun of it, <laughs> I just want you to know that. Okay. If you play man, I feel like a woman again. I'm not going to. Okay. I know this. Yeah. This song is very 90s. Very 90s. But it's very different than the other songs. I hate the world today. What's the artist's name? Meredith Brooks. Meredith Brooks. Tried to tell you, but you look at me like maybe I'm an angel underneath. Innocent and sweet. Yesterday I cried. So she's rejecting a lot of traditional notions of what it is to be a woman. And she is saying, here's what I really am. Here's what she is. So this song was like an invitation to me to be a feminist. Oh, this is your You Don't Own Me. Yeah. And it's it's that important to me because I heard this song and I said, that's kind of exactly how I feel. So first of all, it starts with I Hate the World Today, which I was a teenager. <laughs> so obviously I'm already hooked on this song, right? But she says, I'm a little bit of everything. Uh, I'm a sinner. I'm a saint, right? I'm not an angel underneath, even though that's, she says, you look at me like I'm an angel underneath, but I'm not. It's also important that I heard the word. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's it reclaimed a, it. Right. That's a word that is used against women. women. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is, it was like a magical experience to hear her say, that's what I am. And I do not feel ashamed to be all of these things that that defy the expectations of what it is to be a woman. But she's still a woman. She's not saying I'm not feminine. She's not saying I'm not a lady. She's saying I'm all of these things. Yeah, it's a very complicated view. And then she says, take me as I am already amazing. This may mean you'll have to be a stronger man. So step up. Right. And. And it's not that men weren't strong enough. 
mm-hmm. but it's that people thought you have to behave in in behavior in a way that fits into this box and I behave in a way that fits into this box and it was like no we are going to be more cooperative and we're going to kind of pick up each other's slack so I it was a very appealing song really felt like a call to feminism to me intentional or not but I mean it, it's definitely intentionally empowering so yeah and we talked about this with the last episode with the Leslie Gore song yeah but I do think for a lot of women of our generation this was kind of the same idea Mm-hmm. For sure. So, as you know, being a millennial, you just <laughs> nod. You have to say words, Missy. Yeah, I just, uh, I feel like I'm on the edge. And I feel like, I don't know, I wasn't sheltered or anything growing up, but I, I feel like, like you, I kind of feel like you were. <laughs> but it was like with weird stuff, right? Yeah. Like in music, I was sheltered, but like I had cable in my room at three. So, <laughs> it was okay. just a very. And you read Interview with the Vampire. In fifth grade, yeah. In fifth grade. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like a Martian looking in on some of these things because my pop culture references are very different. Okay. But this is when millennials became teenagers. Yes. Or started to become teenagers. Yes. This is in the, the late old 90s. millennials. The, yeah. Millennials. We became the teenagers. A- the antique millennials. <laughs> yes. So popular is taking on a, a new meaning because there are more of us. Right. Right. We're mm-hmm. the children of baby boomers. So there's more teenagers, teenagers. than there had ever been before. Yep. And so obviously alternative music was designed in all of its angstiness for teenagers. And the people who listen to it today are people who are our age, who are still listening to Sirius XM Trying Lithium, to you know their youth. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that, but it's still it's still appealing to us. Well, yeah, it's it's comforting. It's the music that right. reminds you of yeah maybe a simpler time in your life. No, it was not a simpler time. You didn't have bills to pay, so it was simpler. But it's their messaging that still appeals to us. Yes. So, do you want to talk about how we ended the '90s? I do you do i do you're i feel like you're very prepared i for the conversation we're about to have you know because nobody's gonna leave this part happy (laughs) let's just say that so everyone just turned it off now (laughs) so at the end of the 90s because historians ruin everything at the end of the 90s there is a new phenomenon it's not not new it's not new but it's reinvented yes so we have the mega pop star the mega pop star Yes. So we had, you know, we had divas in the 70s and 80s. And we had uh, very famous singers in the 90s. Yep. But we end the 90s with moving away from grunge, moving away from alternative music, and moving back into bubblegum pop being the Mass most consumer. prominent kind of music. Yes. This is also coincident or not when MTV stopped really playing music. Yeah. Well, it's the tail end of it, right? Because, yeah. I mean, both of the two people we're about to talk about here in a minute Very are famous music videos. Yeah, for MTV. Absolutely, yes. But then, I mean, but this is also when we started celebrity hounding and TMZ yes. and all of those kinds of things. Ah, uh, the internet. <laughs> so... We're, we're talking, of course, about two megastars, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. There were other very famous female singers in the 90s. Jennifer Lopez is the first one who comes to mind. And so th- these two definitely did not invent being 90s megastars, but they, I don't know, multiplied it. 
and they made it more superficial and less substantive, in my opinion. Neither of them are moving the conversation about women or the I women's will, movement I'm going to disagree with you on that, but we can talk about it when we get into it. Let's start with Brittany. Okay, you want to start? And you have all positive feelings <laughs> about Britney Spears. Okay, so having dissed man, I feel like a woman. Mm-hmm. I will say the same thing I said there. If this empowers you and you love it and it makes you feel comfortable in your skin mm-hmm. and ready to take on the world, discount everything I'm about to say. So having said your disclaimer, we're prepared for the fire. Okay, so Britney Spears is a Disney star before she's a pop star. Absolutely. So is Christina Aguilera. And she has to cross over. And so she has to shed that Disney Mm -hmm. image and move into this pop star status. Yeah. And she does that through her music video. So this is the pretty iconic video you get from Britney Spears. With the the two braids and the schoolgirl outfit. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, this is performing for the male gaze for sure. Absolutely. This is very scantily clad yeah it is relinquishing all agency could you say could you say taking all agency no could you say intentionally owning her body and her performance no i mean i don't see that at all (laughs) listen to the lyrics Yeah, we're going. Great. She just said the reason I breathe is you. We're going back to I'm waiting by the phone and yeah. you're not calling me. Yeah. Nothing we're, that I wouldn't do. Yeah. So I just see no agency in these lyrics. Mm-hmm. I see no empowerment here. Now, this is not to say that later Britney Spears mm-hmm. doesn't embody some of those things. Mm-hmm. But I think this version of Britney Spears, this I'm leaving the Disney and I'm Mm -hmm. moving to a pop star, is packaged by record producers and movie, uh, movie, music video makers. Yeah. I I think that this is not her owning her own career. I mean, she didn't write the music. No, she's not. She did not. Performing. A a man wrote this song. I mean, let's be honest. Couldn't you tell? Yeah. She, um,. I mean, she sings better than I do. Absolutely. She <laughs> she she has a remarkable skill in in performing and singing and dancing. But she I will say the dancing and the performing, I think, top the singing. For her, yes. Yes. But she has a remarkable work ethic. She yes. has a remarkable uh, magnetism, right? She yes. she definitely is works at being a superstar, but she also just has some natural skill or natural gift at it. Yes. So she is a remarkable person and she has made remarkable achievements yes. and she has been very honest about a lot of things but all of that comes away later yes and i much think she like, grows into it yeah because i feel like this is very much going back to almost that leslie gore of i didn't know what i was singing they just handed me lyrics and i sang it absolutely and i mean she probably wasn't very much older than 17 when she sang this song to be honest with you yeah and if, if she was 17 and later in the 2000s Miley Cyrus is going to go through something similar where she's on a children's TV show and she has to uh, become a superstar she starts by 
by maintaining the image and then she has to very cleanly break away from it well, now britney spears did the same thing do you remember her virginity was such an issue yeah in pop culture for so long because she was trying to bridge the gap between that yeah. pop star yeah. and then that disney star yeah so I, I mean, I see some problematic she was trying to bring issues there. Her, her her fans with her, yes, but also make a name for herself. Yes, yeah, yes. Believe it or not, even as an English professor, I don't do a hardcore textual analysis <laughs> uh, every time I hear it. But you're right that this song is not moving our conversation forward. But it's very reflective of the '90s. Yes. We have we have all of these venues in which we make huge strides, but we still have this addiction to. Uh, popularity we have this kind of draw to superstardom yes and we are insistent upon making people superstars yes following them around obsessing over details of their life i mean this is before we had kardashians and 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 other people so i mean britney spears just got boatloads of attention Right. And, I mean, everything bad that happened to her, we did to her. Yes. I will 100% I'm, agree I'm with that. I'm definitely in the leave Britney Spears alone category, <laughs> if you want to find out. The other megastar from the end of the 90s, yes. in terms of solo female performing artists, is Christina Aguilera. Yes. And her first big hit, Genie in a Bottle. Genie in a Bottle. Yeah. So I would not call this song a great forward progress. I'm going to argue with you. I'm going to say that this is more progressive than Hit Me Baby One More Time. That's not a huge step. Well, no, it's a low bar, but we cleared it. (laughs) So also a Disney star. Also a Disney star. Also breaking that mold. Also trying to branch out. However, I will say I think Christina Aguilera owned her sexuality more completely than Britney Spears did? Yes. Yeah, so this is definitely... This is this is more agency, right? So yes. this is you have to impress me. Yes. But it's still I mean, it's still an overtly She's sexual, still performing yeah. for the male yeah. gaze for yeah. sure. Um I will say I think the lyrics are less passive. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think that the lyrics are giving the narrator here a little bit more agency in her own story. Yeah. Um and I think she made that transition mm-hmm. into pop star. Mm-hmm. In a more smooth way than Britney Spears did. Yes. And I think partially that is because she was never as famous as Britney Spears, right? Right. She had a little bit of wiggle room there mm-hmm. that Britney Spears didn't have. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, s- remarkable singing ability. Yes. Still to this day. I-, um, I would say her singing ability is probably more impressive than Britney Spears. Oh, nobody would disagree with you on earth. Um, at least I don't think so. So she also is a megastar. She yes. also is stalked by the paparazzi. 
but she was like she you said to the same extent not that, to the same okay. extent so she's never as famous i think part of that was that britney spears started dating justin timberlake that is probably true and so that i think made them more in the public eye mm-hmm. but christine aguilera i think i don't think she straddled the line the way that britney Spears did as long as she did i think she just got better advice to be honest with you that i think neither of them knew what they were doing uh, I mean, I think that Christina was better advised and just a little bit less famous. And so it was a little easier for her. But I would agree that the songs that made her famous are less regressive in terms of their messaging than Britney Spears songs. Well, and I think I'm right in that Christina Aguilar actually wrote some of her own songs. And I don't think that Britney Spears... I don't know that Britney Spears has ever did written that. a song. Yeah. Or at least Christina Aguilera was a co-writer on some of her songs. Okay, so overall, Mm -hmm. would you say that the 90s music Mm -hmm. is what we would have said of 90s TV? That it's reflective of the time, but there's room for improvement? Yes, I think that 90s music is 100% reflective of the 90s. And we had better representation. We had some better messaging. We had more female voices uh, in front of and behind the scenes. We had more diverse topics. We had discussion of authentic feelings and experiences. And we had new definitions of what it was to be a woman. But, I mean, I know that it's not perfect. Right. And I know that there are a lot of places in terms of diverse perspectives, in terms of representation, and in terms of messaging a lot of places where we ha- where we needed improvement and in, in a lot of ways we got improvement in in the next two decades and there yes. are a lot of songs in the 2000s and the what do we call the decade that's 2010 to 2020 the now okay <laughs> the modern i don't know the current decade the current decade <clears throat> that call back to some of these same ideas of defining what it is to be a woman of setting your own terms and i think that they do an even better job of reflecting third and fourth wave feminist ideas. I think that people like Alanis Morissette and Liz Fair did a very good job. And even people like Courtney Love, right, are moving things forward. But I don't think that anybody would say it was great. It was perfect. Right. It was equitable. Goal accomplished. Right. We, we, We just didn't hear from enough people and we didn't hear all that there was for females to say so i think i agree with you um i think that when we look at the music it's important to look behind the scenes Mm -hmm. to see who's writing it to see Mm -hmm. who's producing it and i think that those statistics have been getting better and better okay and will hopefully continue to get better and better yeah and i think that people are more aware of those things now yeah i think that idea like we talked about with our movie episode Uh, scary movies was just getting new voices in the room yeah i think that has been a continual progress Mm -hmm. i mean if i think back to the 1960s with phil Spector (laughs) getting rich out of all these girl groups that he would just use as interchangeable parts yeah and then we fast forward and we've got the bangles and Mm -hmm. the go-go's being all female bands and then we've got even pop stars like christina aguilera writing some of their own lyrics Mm -hmm. I think that does show progress. Absolutely. Not perfect, but progress. And that's just got to be the theme. It's if, got to be. Right? Women are people. Progress, not perfection. Right. And mm-hmm. you saying yay history. <laughs> Three themes. 
two. So, <laughs> so what, two themes and a catchphrase? Yeah, two themes and a catchphrase. Okay. So, Lugger, what's next in your lady life? Well, aside from jamming out to all these songs on my ride home, uh, yeah, I'm going to go play trivia. Oh, yeah, you do that. I do. You? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I go out of the house. Yeah, I'm not just sitting around doing academic research all the time. Well, we can't all be perfect. I can. (laughs) Misty, what's next in your lady life? So I have two things coming up. Uh, The first is that I am going to be building a Spotify playlist in case anybody wants to listen to all of these songs. Hopefully in chronological order like a good historian would do. You don't have to listen to them in chronological order. And then the second thing I have going on is that I am launching my next research project into the All-American Girl Baseball League. Oh, yeah, we are doing an an episode on sports. 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 Which we know about. We do know about sports. Or we will (laughs) by next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Professors, our podcast about seeing movies, culture, and history through our lady eyes. I'm Misty. Remember to express yourself. And I'm Allegra, a little bit of everything all rolled into one. We'd love to hear from you, what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. Gotta be pretty great. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers, P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email, same address, ProfessHers at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who's been listening, commenting, liking, reviewing our podcast. The best way to keep up with us is to subscribe. We hope you recommend our podcast to a friend and check out other podcasts from the TCC Connect faculty. Our podcast is written by Misty and me. And remember, you don't own me.